following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. When God made His promise to Abraham, so immediately, what is He talking about stories that He expects you to know? So if you don't know the story, no worries, we'll talk about it. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for himself to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will maybe sort of kind of bless you. That's not what it said. I will surely bless you. I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, which when I read Genesis, which is where that comes, I don't know how patient Abraham was. I mean, that's, that's not how I would have described it, but it's the Bible, so I'll take its word for it. Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and an oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. He's talking about like if we want to buy a land or we want to buy a car or we want to get married, we always involve somebody signing documents, right? We always have somebody who comes along and says, yeah, that's what we're doing. Verse 17, but God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, so he confirmed it with an oath. God did this, and he tells us why, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. And just so you know, in the Greek there, it's kind of like that would be bold, underlined, blinking text, right? That's what it would be. It's really, it's really eccentric. They're greatly encouraged. We have this hope as, an, what's those words? Anchor for the soul, firm and secure, It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever. And there's old Mel again. We we got introduced to him last week in the order of Melchizedek. And everybody's like, man, what's the deal with this guy? First of all, it sounds like you're sneezing. I mean, I don't even know what's going on. We've got to talk about Melchizedek. That's our reading for today. And you're like, what are you going to do with that? Well, the answer is God's doing a whole lot with that. We've got to tell some stories. And that's exactly what we're going to do as we study the anchor for the soul. And it's important that you know that when we talk about anchor for the soul, guys, I'm, I'm like going all in on this. I don't see this as a metaphor. I don't see this as a, uh, a like I said earlier, a little nice, happy, little fantasy, fantasy story or, a, you know, all in the by and by and, the, and all of that. Um, no, 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 no. This is about what's in our guts. This is about what God is doing in reality and what we need for you and for me. And so that's what we're going to go today. We're going we're to ask him to help us as we study the anchor for the soul. Please pray with me. Father, I ask you right now to open our hearts and our minds to what you would have us learn through this very interesting and slightly strange reading that has some interesting and powerful things in one sentence, but the rest of it is like, what's all that about? And Lord, I pray boldly that you would work your power in this place to move us from a place of death to the place of life, from a place of darkness to a place of light, from a place of doubts and fears and worries and grief and all of the things that are like that to a place of, as as it was described here, greatly encouraged because of hope. We pray that, Lord. We ask that. I ask that you would equip us with the full armor of God the boots of the, of the gospel of peace, the belt of truth, the breastplate of your righteousness, the helmet of salvation, sword 
of the Spirit and the shield of faith which extinguishes all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take him, run him down the hill, and set us free to navigate in this place of grace. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray for that grace and your mercy and your peace to be upon us. Amen. So i got to tell you a story. Debbie and I got married in 1995. We were, it's 23 years ago, right? I'm not good at math, but I do know how long it's been since we got married. So just note that for the record. And so, and so, and so we got married, and we, we moved into this really interesting triplex. I mean, you've heard of a duplex. We were in a triplex, which is even more, well, terrible. But it was good. And, and, so, and so you're in these little places, and we're moving in, and we're becoming adults. Well, at least I hoped that we would. And she was way ahead of me in that category, always has been. And, and someday I'll let you know when I'm an adult. And so, and so we were doing adulting things, right? Hashtag adulting, that's what we were doing. And, and, and we, were, we were building a little home, right? And so, and so we're in the home, and one day I go to the kitchen, and I open one of the cupboards. And, you know, you got the counter, and then up here's the cabinets. I'm opening one of those to get a plate. And my eye caught movement in there. You know, it's dark in the cabinet. And, and yeah, everybody's like, yeah. And... And, and, I, it, and I was like, what was that? And you know, you just, you know, oh, my eyes must be playing tricks on me. And I reach in, and I see lots of movement. And I wish I didn't have to tell you this, but they were cockroaches. And everybody's like, okay, I'm grossed out. Can we leave now? I get that. What did I do? What was, well, so I had multiple decisions. Right? All kinds of things I could have done. And what did I do? I, I shut the door. I did and I walked away. And <laughs> so, so later on, Debbie gets home from work. And, and she's like, hey, honey, how's it going? I'm like, hey, it's going great. How are you? And she's like, oh, it's, it's a long day, but okay, fine. And uh, she goes to that same cabinet. And I don't really remember what happened after that. Um, <laughs> she'd have to tell me, but it wasn't good. And from that day forward, this phrase entered into our family's lexicon, right? Our, our, our little personal dictionary. And that is the phrase, close the door on the roaches. And for all of the 23 years since then, every once in a while, she will observe that in Mark's personality, he likes to close the door on the roaches. Now, what, what's interesting is I told you a little story, which we all kind of laughed at. It wasn't funny then, but it is extremely funny now. And, and, but it communicates a whole breadth of emotions, doesn't it? A whole, a whole series of things. It, it tells you a little bit something about me, which the leadership team's like, oh, okay, taking note here. We've got to make sure Mark stays on task. But the other thing is, is, that, is that it tells you a little something. Maybe it tells you a little something about you know, how she didn't kill me, so there was grace and mercy there. That was great. And, and, and we also had to deal with that. But it also tells you a little bit about what humans will do. We don't want to face terrible, nasty things of this broken world. And so, yes... From that day forward, every once in a while, we, our family will encounter something, and she will say, Mark is closing the door on the roaches. That's what goes on in the Bible, not the, not the roach part, but there's all these stories, one right after the other. And there are these stories that when we read them, they're like, well, that's interesting or fantastic or boring. Or some of, the, some of our friends went to see the Samson show over at the Sight and Sound Theater. There's a story, right? And, and it has a lot of things in it. It's kind of a rated R story in the Bible, so the kids will now want to go read it. And so I encourage you to. It's actually a really good thing to read. And, 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 and it's in the book of Judges, by the way. And so, and so you, you, get all this, you get all these stories in the Bible, and then when we come along a text like we're in today, you're like, what does this have to do with anything? And it would be the same as if I just said, well, they're closing the door on the roaches. And you'd be like, what? What? Because you don't know the story, right? 
And, and this is the issue. We, we brought it up last week, and we have these two things, that, that, and this is, is going all the way through the book of Hebrews, is there's something we, we're using the word churchianity to describe. We get, I get that from Michael Spencer, who wrote a book of the same name, Mere Churchianity. And you have churchianity on one hand, and you have Christianity on the other. And we highlighted what these things are. Churchianity is kind of what we all grew up with, most of us. Now, some of you guys might have been in a really cool church, and that would be great. I appreciate that. But, but if you were like me, you grew up in a churchianity church where there's a whole bunch of people who talk about a lot of different things, and they don't do much of anything. Or what they do, has, it doesn't reflect anything about what goes on during the worship service. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. And it's this idea where, we, where we're all interested in principles much more than we are people, and we're all focused on all these different kinds of things that have nothing to do with Jesus. And over here, we have Jesus. And Jesus is one of these fellas, and make no mistake, he's a dude. He does happen to be true man and true God, but he's a dude. And the reason we call him that is because so many people think Christianity is a philosophy, a principle. No, it's about a person. It's about a dude who loves you and he loves me. And we have to tell the stories. We have to tell the stories so that when we use a little shorthand, like the curtain was torn, what does that even mean, right? Or when we use a little shorthand that says he went to the cross on our behalf, what is that talking about? And why, you know, oh, Jesus died for my sins. I don't care. I don't even believe in sin. Get out of my face, right? Sometimes that's what we hear in our world. And why should we be surprised by that? Because when we do churchianity, we talk in our own internal language, and we don't ever explain anything, and we just ex- you're just supposed to wake up knowing all of it, right? Last time I checked, I don't see a lot of you guys reading Leviticus. Anybody reading Leviticus this morning? I, probably not. I, mean, you know, I, I wasn't either, so don't worry. We've got to talk about this, and as we do, I want to put a scripture on screen so that we can zoom in on it and study it. It's Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, and this is kind of our key text today. It's just this sentence. We have this hope, and he's talking about Jesus. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. And this hope is firm and it's secure. So my question to you is in your life, I would ask you to ponder the question, what is firm and secure in your life? And you might say, well, Mark, I've got a good job. Great. I'm very thankful for that fact. What would happen if you lost it? And then there's others sitting here who goes, I can tell you all about that because it happened to me. Some of you guys might say, well, my bank account's the best it's ever been. Great. Praise God. What happens if that changes? Because there's people also in here that could tell you what happens when that happens, right? There, there, we, could, we could keep telling, well, my family life, it's going so good. You know, it's just like everything, we've just never been in a better place. But what would happen if that changed? What would happen if somebody got hurt or got sick or whatever, right? You know, what, what? See? You see, we live in a world where I would argue that nothing is firm and secure because we're mortal beings. Everybody, anybody here ever run into death? Ever encounter that? Which is ironic because that's usually where we get to arguing with God. We get mad at God because we experience terrible things. We experience things that make us go, well, if God were real, he wouldn't have let that happen. And if he is real and he did let it happen, then he is, and then insert favorite pejorative term, right? That's the honesty, right? I told you, we're going to the guts today. We've got to get it in our guts because this is what it's all about. Because either this is real or it's just a fairy tale. And if it's a fairy tale, my chiefs kick off at noon. I'm much more interested in Patrick Mahomes, okay? But instead, hey, we can go watch some football. That's fine. But this is the most important thing. In fact, if we don't have this, then can we ever really enjoy the other? Eat, drink, and marry because tomorrow you die. 
Hope the game goes good. Hope the barbecue is what you all you hoped it to be. And I hope you don't get indigestion from it. You track it with me. See, and this, because this is what we're talking about, it's either firm and secure or it's not. And the promise of God is that He is building something that is firm and secure. It's an anchor for your soul so that when the storm comes and when it hits the house, not if, but when, when it comes, that yeah, you're going to lose some shingles and there's going to be some broken windows and the lawnmower may be down in the gully, but you're gonna, the thing will be standing. And I hope you understand I'm not talking about a house. I'm talking about your heart, your soul, your life, everything that has any meaning to you at all. That's what we're talking about. Because, if, I mean, guys, come on, let's quit playing games, right? I mean, that's what our world does. We play games. We're like, oh, this is important, that's important. All of it is gone tomorrow. All of it. All of it. And yet, the promise is we have this hope for, that is an anchor for the soul that is firm and secure. So now, what do we mean by this? Because this is, I mean, this is a great, great talk, Mark. Appreciate that. Where are you getting it from? What does it all mean? Tell me the story behind the cabinet, right? Where did you get these words from? Well, so let's just go back to the beginning, right? Let's just do it real straight. Let's go back to the beginning. Page one of the Bible. God creates the heavens and the earth. And everything was good. It was very good. It was perfect. And then he said, well, I'm going to make people. (laughs) No, no, no. No, the people were there. And that was when he said it was very good. But they're... There came a choice that was put before Adam and Eve and inexplicably, for reasons we can't understand, they chose to go against God. And from that moment on, as Rich Mullins sings in one of his songs that I love, there's been nothing but trouble and death in the world ever since. Right? Trouble and death. And that's, that's, I mean, that's exactly what it is. I mean, we live in a world where ultimately the, the real problem is that we die. Right? And I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for a... a you know, a solid 85 or whatever I get. I don't know what that'll be. The Lord may take me home tonight. I don't know. But I know this, that I have an anchor for my soul. How do I know it? Is it because I'm some super religious guy? No, sir. No, sir. It's because of stories. It's because of true stories. Because of stories that if you don't have the truth, then you don't have anything. And what I, you know, there's a lot of ways we could go about this, but I want to read to you from a book written by Sally Lloyd-Jones. This is called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's written for children, so I figured I could probably capture it, what it's saying, on my level. And, and I love this because this is her introduction to it. It's based on several scriptures, and she summarizes the whole Bible in a couple of pages so that you'll know what we mean when we joke in our family about, well, we close the door on the roaches. The heavens are singing about how great God is, and, sky, and the skies are shouting it out. See what God has made. Day after day, night after night, the skies are speaking to us. Interesting language, right? And some of you guys are like, oh yeah, now whatever. Keep listening. God wrote, I love you. He wrote it in the sky. He wrote it on the earth. He wrote it under the sea. He wrote this message everywhere for you and me to see, right? That's what it is. Because God created everything in his world to reflect him like a mirror. To show us what he is like and to help us get to know him. To make our hearts sing. And you're probably sitting there going, what? To make our hearts sing? I mean, why? Yeah. Because I know you guys. You drive your car. You flip on the channel, right? 
and you, your toe might tap a little bit, or if you're, maybe you're into classical music like Allie is. She wants to hear violins and that sort of thing, and you know, whatever's good for people, right? Some of you guys like country music, Ugh, you know, no, sorry, this is Branson. I just, I just signed my own death warrant, right? No, I'm just kidding. A little joke, just humor. Have you ever noticed the way a kitten chases her tail, the way red poppies grow wild, the way a dolphin swims? And God put into words too, put all this into words too, and he wrote it in a book which we call the Bible. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. And the Bible does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. Isn't that interesting? But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what He is doing. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes. And as a fan of heroes, movies, and stories, I, I, I track with that. And they think that because they're a book of heroes, these are showing you the people you should copy. Well, the Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find, soon find out when you read, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some really big mistakes, sometimes even on purpose. They get afraid and they run away. At times, they're just downright mean. I don't know if you guys have ever run into any of those kinds of people. In your life, yeah. No, the Bible isn't a book of our rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero, just one, who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. You see, you see who I'm pointing at here? This is his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything, to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales, except that this one has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is, is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are just telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and has come to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story, and at the center of the story, there's a baby. And, at the se- and, and the Bible whispers his name on every page. He's like the missing piece of a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would depend. This is the child on, upon whom one day, oh wait, she wants to tell the whole story, and she begins to then write the whole Bible out for children like me, so that we can understand it. And it's so powerful as you hear her words, and she's a much better wordsmith than I would ever hope to be, and that's why I wanted you to hear it in her language, because what she's doing is she's capturing the story of God in a way that you and I could appreciate, and with some flair, with some language in there that we would, we would grapple, grapple with. When I was a kid growing up, my favorite story, like big overarching story was, I know it's going to shock some of you, Star Wars, right? That was a, I mean, it's the high point of literature, right? This is where we're at. And um, I can say things to certain Star Wars fans in the room that, that I can say things like, that's not a moon, that's a space station. And they're just like, they can see the scene right there going with me. And, you know, and, and, and why is that? I was five years old when Star Wars came out. And I mean, and I went like 52 times because we, we have a single theater in our little town in Nebraska. And after they'd run all the summer movies, then they just, they brought Star Wars back and they just ran it over and over again for months. And so that was really good. And that, in those days, you could get in for like 50 cents or whatever. So it was really good. And so, 
And so I would watch that movie over and over again because I want you to think about what that movie's about. And if you're like, oh gosh, it's gonna be a Star Wars. Stories, right? I mean, think about it. You got a young dude, he's a farmer. I'm living in Nebraska. I immediately relate, right? Because Nebraska and Tatooine, they're real similar. And so, and so he's a farmer and he looks up and there's all this trouble going on in the universe, right? And it turns out there's this very terrible enemy that is this, this sort of evil one who comes in and, and messes everything up. And he thinks if he could just get in the fight, if he could just get in and help and do something, and of course he becomes the guy who rescues the princess. Of course it gets weird because she's his sister. All these things. But you see what we're doing. We're telling stories. And we immediately understand the story because when we start talking about heroes and farmers, and what we're doing is we're using things that you and I experience, and we're experiencing them together. And they become this language, this vocabulary that we experience together. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20. And this is the first half of the verse. And it says there that it, which is referring to the hope that we have. The hope that we have enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus who went before us has entered on our behalf. And so right there, if you've never seen Star Wars, and I start talking about Tatooine and space stations and everything, you're like, I don't know what he's talking about. You might feel the same way about this if you haven't read much of the Old Testament, which I'm going to guess is a pretty high percentage of us in this room because our minds and the way we've grown up in this world, Old Testament is so foreign and distant from us. It's old. I mean, that's why we call it that one reason. But what's ironic is the book of Hebrews, this whole letter is, is a letter trying to get us to understand why the Old Testament is important. And this is one of the sentences that's doing this. It's pointing to this story about how there was this there's, there was this situation where God comes to Moses and he says, we're going to rescue this people. We're going to rescue people, right? So get that. I hope you caught that. We're going to rescue people. A whole bunch of them. More than a million at, at our best guess. We're going to rescue them out of slavery. We're going to set them free. And we're going to do it through water, <laughs> which is really interesting. And we're going to get them into a promised land, right? These are la- this is language that we use even in our day. And we're going to put them there and then we're going to... We're going to show them what it's like to be involved with God. That's what it is. And so one of the first things that he did is he said, okay, Moses, once they got rescued and they were set free, and of course a bunch of shenanigans started at that point. Meanwhile, he's working with Moses. He's like, I want you to build a place. We're going to call it a tabernacle. And See, that's when most of our eyes roll back in our head. We're like, I don't care about a tabernacle. No, you do need to care about a tabernacle. Why? Because a tabernacle is what it's going to look like someday when you and I are set free forever. Right? It's what it's going to look like. But what's, what's even more crazy is that did you know that you are now a tabernacle? You are now the temple of the living God. Because he said so. Because what he has this vision of, this, his dream on the last page of the Bible is that you and I would live together with him forever. But not just live, but to live. Right? To have life to the full. To have life where there are no worries or fears or Anything like that. And there's no one who is without because everyone is with God. And this is this whole dream of God. And yet, he's dealing with a people, and I'm first in line, guys. I'm first in line. A people who, eh, like, God, you stay over there. I'll be over here. I heard you like to forgive sins. It's going to work out good for me because I do that a lot. And so, yay, we're all done, right? And so you're in this situation where you're like in this tension, Right? God, God likes to forgive. I like to sin. God likes to forgive. This is going to work out great. And oh, by the way, I don't really want you involved in my stuff. Turns out that when we talk about this inner sanctuary, yes, there was a building. 
And there was a building and it had fire in it. And if the guys went in the building and they went too close to this stuff, they would die. And yeah, that's in the Bible. They dead. And you're like, see, God's evil. He kills his own priests. I mean, we, no. It's this idea that he is not evil. He is perfect. He is holy. He is proper. He is everything that we would ever hope to be, and yet we aren't. But then what's crazy is, and this is the crazy part, he then proceeds to go through this whole story to make you holy, me holy, to make us have the fire in us, right? I mean, this is what he's trying to do. That's what he is doing. We're the ones trying and failing. He doesn't. So look what happens. He goes in the inner sanctuary where there was this amazing thing that none of us can understand. The hope does. Behind the curtain where no one could go, where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He's trying to say that when you flip open to the Old Testament and you look at something there and you think it doesn't make any sense, then he wants you to see Jesus working. He wants you to see, did you know that he's doing this for you? He's doing this for each one of you so that we could be set free. Take a look at the next half of the verse. Because here's the deal. He says, he says, he has become, and here's this crazy language, he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And we said last week that Melchizedek means king of righteousness. That's just what it means, righteous king, you can, however you want to say it. And that brings us to the words righteousness, okay? Here's my question. I want you to ask this question, because remember, we were talking about what is firm and what is secure. That's what we're really dealing with today. My question is, are you righteous? And you might sit there and go, well, I sure hope so. And the answer, of course, is none of us are. Because righteous means the way it ought to have been all along. The way it was always supposed to have been. That's what you and I lack by ourselves. And some people think, some people think that what God wants from me is to become righteous. Some people think what God wants from me is to somehow I could try harder, do a little better. That is not what God wants. Because Jesus is the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, which is like, okay, wow, what? No, he is the righteous one who gives that to you and to me freely. That's why it says he did it on our behalf. So hear these words, guys, and because this is, this, is, this is what you need to hear. You are righteous, every single one of you. And you're like, Mark, you don't know anything about me. How can you say that? God's word says it. Now, you can hear those words and you say, Pfft. and then if you throw them out, then yeah. Then you throw them out. And God's not going to be a, an evil tyrant who comes and steps on your neck and says, yes, you will believe. No. He gives each one of us that opportunity. By His grace and by His Spirit, He calls us through His Word. And I want you to hear His Word clearly today. You are righteous. You're like, yeah, but Mark, you don't know what I did. He does. And he's the one who went and did it for you. Yeah, but you don't know what I said. Yeah, he does. And he did it for you. But you don't know what I thought or what I felt. You don't know the darkness that is inside of me. Yeah, he does. And that's why he went into the inner sanctuary. And he wants you to become that by giving you his spirit, which he has promised for each one of you and for me. You see, if you, I want you just to just ponder for a second. What would, it, what would you think if you knew that you were 100% righteous in the eyes of God all the time, even when you aren't doing what you should do, right? What if you knew that that was true? What if you believed it? How would that impact your life? You know what would happen when the storms come? The first thought, you wouldn't, the first thought would not be, what have I done to deserve this? 
which is what our first thought always is when the storm comes. What have I done to deserve this? And now there's two ways you can answer that. Option number one, I am guilty, terrible person. I've done this, and now God's out to get me. Option number two, well, that just shows you that God's evil because I'm a pretty good person, and I'm not like those other people. Insert whatever they did. Compare it to your own story. Uh-uh. No. Don't close the door on the roaches this time. Open it and look at it. Look at it. There aren't nasty creatures in there running around. It's the inner sanctuary of God. He's calling your name, and He loves you, and He will do anything for you. He proved it when He died on the cross. He went to the cross to take all of the punishment you and I deserve, and, to, and He paid it. He paid it. There is no situation that comes upon your life that is because you were a bad person. There is no situation that comes upon your life that, beca- that is because you didn't do good enough. All the situations we face are because we, are, our whole world is fighting against God even when we don't want to. And the whole world is broken. And he doesn't ever say, we saw this last week, he doesn't ever say, I'm going to save you from the circumstances. He says, I will come and be with you in the circumstances. That's his promise. I will come and be with you in the circumstances. And I will put my nail-scarred hands around you and I will hold you tightly. And no matter what happens, he will keep telling you and me, I love you. I will be with you forever. Even when it looks like all is lost. Especially when it looks like all is lost. You see, that's the anchor for our soul. I want to read one more thing to you. Because last week we said this, we're saying it throughout this whole discussion, we need the story. And I know it's like, Mark, you keep saying, go read the Bible, I don't like to do it. But we need the story. I just want you to hear these words. We need the story because when the waters rise and when the winds blow, we need the story because the ground breaks and the trees fall. We need the story because no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we give, it will never be enough. It will never be enough. We need the story because, I don't know about your story, but my story is a mess. We need the story because when we try so hard on our own, we write our own story. Instead of seeing him weaving his story amidst our story. We, we, <laughs> we, we need our story because we have all these goals and hopes and dreams and plans and things that we're going to do. What about what he's going to do? We need Jesus. Because he writes that story on your heart and on mine. He gives us hope. It is the only really true story. And here's the crazy part, guys. His story is what makes our story true. Hear these words. You are righteous, set free because of Jesus, who is the Messiah. Messiah means rescuer. He came to rescue you and rescue me. He's so much more powerful than Luke Skywalker, sorry, but he is. And he didn't have to use a lightsaber, although the Word of God is the sword, right? So I kind of like that. But... He came to save you and me by submitting to this world. Not trying to kill anybody, not trying to blow them all away, but by bending down and washing their feet, washing your feet and mine, setting free you and me so that we could have a happily ever after. Because what we're not interested in is a happy ending. If there's an ending, I don't want any part of it. I want a never-ending story. That's the one he promises for you and for me, and that's the anchor our soul. Please pray with me. Father, we ask you right now to set us free from our, our, all of the things that we think God wants and to instead help us be reminded of how much he loves us, no matter what. Help us hear the words that we have been made righteous through Jesus. Even if we don't understand them, help us hear them and believe them. Help us listen to you, to put our trust in you, 
to not listen to this world or to the stories that are out there that tell us that we need to do more, try harder, and get better. Let us listen and learn the story about how one who went on our behalf, who paid all the debts, we are debt-free. And yes, the storms will come, but He promised to help batten down the hatches when they do, to be with us no matter what, to protect us no matter what. Help us believe that. We cannot do it on our own. We need Jesus. We need His Holy Spirit. We need You to come into our lives and to make it happen. Give us this gift as we pray to You in the mighty name of Jesus who lives and reigns with You in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.